Welcome to the Boulder Bassoon Quartet Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Ethan. I'm Kent. I'm still Michael. And this is episode 7. We don't have a Star Wars tie-in yet since episode 7 won't come out for another year. So I guess this kind of concludes the uh, corny episode titles of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet Podcast. Because <laughs> from here on out, there's just nothing for us to use. That's probably for the best. Yes. Well, this is a special time of Michael's life as he... So slowly approaches the end of his <laughs> academic career. Thank you for the editorial comments. <laughs> <laughs> Crawling to that finish line, <laughs> wounded and broken. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a little. What are you going to do? So you are approaching the end of your graduate studies. Indeed. And that always means writing a whole lot of stuff. Okay, so um, my my large paper uh, is uh, working to create a method, uh, methodology method, sure, uh, in order to teach uh, the practice of voicing to students who are, are not familiar. Uh, voicing, in this case, I've chosen a definition that includes uh, the interaction and balancing of uh, three basic factors. Uh, your airflow, how fast you, you uh, blow into the instrument. Uh, your amateur, how uh, tightly your amateur interacts with the reed. Um, and stuff like how much reed do you take into your mouth uh, and sort of the shape uh, of, of the lips against the reed. And then thirdly, the rather subtle but uh, very important uh, factor of the shape of your oral cavity uh, as determined by the position and shape of, of your tongue. All right, hold on there. Okay. That's a whole lot of stuff you just said. Yeah, I'm not even finished yet. <laughs> I don't even think I have any idea what's going on. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I bet you know <laughs> very much what I'm talking about. Let's back all the way up. Okay. Because you, you jumped right off the bat using the word voicings. Mm -hmm. But we don't sing. We don't play. I mean... I mean, unless you're Pascal Galois. Right. So we play a wind instrument. And, uh, you know, in case you're listening and you're not a instrumentalist and you're not, in, in particular, a bassoonist, what does it mean to involve voicings in playing an instrument? Uh, what does it mean to involve voicings? So how much should I talk about the contentiousness of this particular <laughs> phrase? Because my, my committee members have already expressed dismay about me using this particular um, term. But I, I really? like Why? it. Why is that? Uh, well, so um, committee member number one uh, has suggested that for his pedagogy, voicing is limited only to the position of the tongue. What say vowel shapes uh, are you creating in your mouth when you're blowing into the instrument. And you're saying it involves your embouchure and the vowel shapes and your airspeed? And your airflow. I'm, I'm saying it involves the balance among those three things. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that I say that it involves the balance is because uh, e an adjustment, a change to any one of these factors uh, changes how you have to use the other factors. Uh, and so it's a, you know, it's like a cause and effect and side effect and other side effect sort of a thing. But you, you use the balance of these three factors in order to um, in order to influence the intonation, most obviously, uh, volume, 
secondly, and also tone color. Uh, what kinds of, of um, different sonorities can you get out of the instrument? So is the most basic uh, definition of voicings just kind of saying what vowel shape you're using? Or is that the most There's, common? Yeah, I'm, I'm not prepared to make statements about commonality. But yeah, it's, there is certainly a school of thought among wind players uh, that uh, they use the term voicing just to talk about the vowel shape. And then they talk about airflow as a separate thing. Uh, and they talk about amateur as a separate thing. Uh, I've chosen to include the three as uh, interrelated um, factors. And the whole idea of this is to play the note correctly in whatever register you're trying to play. Yeah, but, but the idea is takes... to sound pretty. <laughs> right. So but that's the end game of this whole yeah. exercise. The end game is, is to sound nice. So you're developing a methodology so that people can learn the intricacies of all these different things that are connected in order to use voicings to sound good. Yeah, that's the idea. So you're going to be able to teach people this. You'll have a way that anybody can come off the street who wants to play bassoon, and through this balance of these three things, you'll be able to teach a new player to be able to do this. Um, I mean, sort of, yes. Uh, the caveats would be that as I've gone through this whole thing, I keep running into the fact that uh, I, I don't necessarily know that I'm saying anything particularly new or groundbreaking with this, nor do I think that any of the stuff in my dissertation is uh, exclusive. It's not the only way that you can do this. And also, through my teaching at the university, um, I realize more and more and more that there's a very finite amount of stuff that I can teach to anyone. Most of it is the the students learning. But I hope that this method... Wait, 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 what does that mean? Oh, it means that um, the person who actually does the work is the person who learns. I cannot um, give you written instructions and all of a sudden you're going to play beautifully. It takes a lot of trial and error, it takes a lot of experimentation. What I'm trying to do with the method is to create um, some exercises that will kind of guide you through useful experiments to more quickly and immediately come across things that will work and also come across things that don't work. Uh, and sometimes the, the ugly sounds are more informative and more instructive than the pretty sounds. So hopefully this is just to expedite the process of learning. That's always an interesting thing. Like I think you could be the smartest student and, quote, have the most talent, quote. And you could work with the best professor ever, but you're not going to make any progress. You're not going to learn anything unless you put in all sorts of hours of work uh, doing that stuff. Everybody has to invent the solutions for themselves, whether it comes to reed making or just playing scales or playing high note, whatever. Everybody has to like find out through trial and error and lots of work how it all works, which is uh, sort of aggravating as both a teacher and a learner. Mm -hmm. Aggravating and liberating all at the same 
No, just at the same time, <laughs> right? <laughs> half full, half empty. Then, no, it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> you must be talking about reeds, right? No, I'm feeling just fine about reeds right now. Uh, yeah, reeds. I'm not feeling good about. No. I think reeds. Ever since I started making reeds, every time I get to the point where I think I've got it figured out, my next batch sucks, and then I feel like I start over. And I don't know why that is. Maybe I don't have the guidelines learned well enough to learn how to make reeds. I don't know. Or maybe reeds are just frustrating. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's ever said that before, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one. Everybody else has it figured out. <laughs> this episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by Forest Music. With the holiday season approaching, Forrest has a plethora of gift ideas for that special double reed player in your life. Or the mundane double reed player in your life. It takes all kinds. <laughs> Among the variety of gifts they have available include bassoon and oboe recordings, not the least of which is the first album released by the Boulder Bassoon Quartet from the opposite shore, forestsmusic.com. Does your methodology book have a name? Exercise number one through eight. So what kind of exercises <laughs> are these? Uh, are they like etudes? Uh, yeah, sort of. And um, they integrate into the existing common um, method books that are already out there. So uh, the first exercise, lesson number one, uh, is just exploring how to make a sound. Uh, it utilizes uh, an articulation that doesn't involve the tongue, so I just call it the breath articulation, uh, where you start blowing into the instrument until the point that you have enough airflow to cause the reed to vibrate. There's a, a particular threshold uh, at which the reed will actually start to vibrate. Uh, and so it starts with a lot of kind of uncontrolled, ugly, odd sounds. Uh, but through listening very carefully to these sounds, the idea is that you kind of start to intuitively understand uh, physically the threshold that it takes to, in order to get the reed to vibrate on any given note. Uh, but doesn't that change with any given reed as well? Yes, which is part of why uh, I think the, the process of studying this and experimenting with this is really important. With any given reed, the situation is changed at least slightly. Um, when you go to a different uh, barometric pressure with different weather, different altitude, the scenario changes slightly. Um, even, you know, just as the weather changes day by day, things change slightly. It changes depending on what note you want to play. It changes um, depending on the room that you're in. Do you want to fill up Carnegie Hall or are you trying to play very, very softly in a small enclosed space? So what's the point of this exercise? To explore. I mean, it starts out uh, just with like really short, um, short bursts of air, short notes, and play around with it until you can find a voicing combination uh, that gets the note in tune at various dynamic levels. And then uh, apply this to 
say, the very first page of Weissenborn. Or uh, work with some of these things uh, in different dynamic levels. Uh, string different dynamic levels together in like a crescendo, decrescendo scenario, and then try to apply some of the basic ideas uh, to work with the Kovar study, number one, uh, or the Hertzberg studies. Um, would you, in, a, in a performance situation, would you start a note with an air attack? Almost never. I, I, I cannot think of very many situations where I would purposely want to do that. The point is not uh, necessarily to practice a breath articulation for its own sake. The point is that the acoustics of the instrument respond to the breath articulation in particular ways. And the breath articulation uh, allows the instrument to sort of inform what you're doing uh, a little bit more immediately. So if you're paying attention to what the instrument is telling you, then the breath articulation allows you an opportunity to very quickly zero in on that perfect balance point of voicing. Once you've done that, then you apply this to the traditional articulation of releasing your tongue from the reed at the moment you're creating the airflow. How does it change the way that you play? It depends on the context. Um, so, for example, it depends on the context and it depends on the, the issues, I suppose. Uh, let's pretend that you're in the primary register, you know, from, say, low F up to E. And especially um, the notes A, B or B flat, C, and to a lesser extent D, uh, these notes have almost the exact same fingering for the primary register as they have fingering for the uh, register an octave above, right? And so I've, my experience has been that often uh, my less experienced students come in and they're playing away and their tongue articulating uh, say a C in the primary register and they get uh, sort of this, I describe it as a donkey sound, they get this um, uh, much too high, very, very, very beginning of their note. Um, a squeak, a squawk, something gross. And they don't know how to fix it. Well, the answer is that the voicing is too high. Uh, some combination of their airflow, probably their amateur is too tight, or their tongue is uh, raised up too high in their mouth. And so they're creating an acoustic scenario in which the bassoon wants to play an octave above but because of the particular efforts to play lower and because they've got their whisper key on, sorry to be so technical, they're getting not the note an octave above, but they're getting the note in the primary register with a gross articulation. So they're fighting the instrument. They're fighting the instrument. The instrument, instrument wants instrument. to go up. The mm -hmm. instrument wants to go up based on what they're trying to do. So if they change all the internal stuff, then they're working with the instrument to get the correct octave to speak. That's the idea, and the idea also is that it will be a more rich sound and a more in-tune sound. And the idea is that the breath articulation uh, can be a very, very quick way to allow the instrument to inform you. Mm -hmm. If you, it, It's easier to get the uh, squawks and squeaks with the breath articulation. And so if you're hearing that, and if you know to listen for it, and if you know that it needs to be corrected, and if you know how to correct it, you can do that much more quickly than beating your head against a brick wall and just saying, I don't know why my notes sound gross.
thrilling. Another thrilling episode <laughs> of the Bowler Bassoon Quartet <laughs> podcast. So that's lesson one. Sure. What happens in lesson two? Lesson two works with the half hole register. Uh-huh. So beyond chapter one and two, I haven't absolutely decided on the order, uh, but there's a chapter for uh, the secondary register, the octave up. There's a chapter for the lower register. There's a chapter just for long tones. Uh, there's a chapter for the extreme high register. And when is this done? When are you defending this, Mike? Other than right now. Six years ago. <laughs> it was due six years ago. <laughs> so what other kind of feedback are you getting from your committee about this? I got some feedback uh, about, you know, this is very interesting and very detailed um, Dr. Ishikawa feels that it is pedagogically sound. One of my committee members suggested that I try to reduce the whole 80 some odd pages into like a brochure that I could pass out mm-hmm. at high schools or at clinics or something. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how I would do that right now. So you want to play bassoon. <laughs> is that the title of the brochure? Sure. Cool. Or. You don't realize it yet, but you want to play the bassoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I have a picture of you on it, pointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want you. Pointing like Uncle Sam. Uh-huh.